This is Think Like a Genius. Tread the line of cognitive psychology, neuroscience, persuasion, and so much more than gray matter. Let's dive in as we fall into a world of intrigue. And now, Think Like a Genius with your host, Lance Vantanar. Welcome to the Thinking Like a Genius podcast. I've got a very interesting guest with me today who's from Copenhagen and Denmark, and that is Mats Fries. Matt is a bit of an interesting character because he's been involved in business for a number of years and he's worked in various industries, but he's also got an interest in psychology, which is where things get really interesting. Now, Matt, we've got a, an interesting topic we're going to start with, but first of all, give people a bit of an introduction about yourself, and then what we'll do is we'll start talking about some of the areas which I thought we could make for some interesting discussions. Sure. So thank you so much for getting me on the show, Lance. So briefly about myself, I work on how to help people improve their lives. I do that through a podcast where I interview psychologists, doctors, different experts, top athletes, and so on, on what is it that gives that itch or that you really feel your best, which is not always about performance, but often about very different things as well. Then I also do workshops on these areas, especially Nordic biohacking habits and so on. And then a lot of my time as well goes on building companies within the health space. So I'm a partner in the venture studio where we come up with new ideas. Then we have our own fund to actually put the money into it. And then we run the companies and then I help them as well on the board. So um, that's the short version of what I do. I'm extremely curious. Since I was a kid, I drove my parents nuts with a million questions. And I think that's the biggest driver of my life is uh, wanting to learn new things and, and make it actionable to, to help people live better lives. Okay, so first of all, let's start with the obvious topic which I've mentioned previously is your 80-20 kind of problem-solution approach. I was a bit interested in what it is that brought you to that insight and then obviously the solution side of things because that's very much based on Palmetto's principles of 80-20. So can you give us a bit of an idea, first of all, how that realization came about and then how do you make the, or get that 20% value that's going to drive the 80% change if you want to say it, put it in that way. Yeah. So the 80-20 is kind of known for the Pareto optimization that we know that 20% of the effort provides 80% of the results. And that's something we've seen across uh, different things in life, whether it's crops or in business and so on. And I found when I was wanting to learn new things that it seemed to be that 80% what people were talking about were all the problems that we have. And then it was only 20% on the solutions, which I'm guessing what we were referring to. And I was like, I understand we have problems and I fully acknowledge it. But I'm like, I want to focus on the solutions. So I want to turn that around that, okay, we have this problem. Let's only spend 20% explaining it and then focus 80% on like, how do we actually solve it? Because I think that's the right way to use the time on problems. Of course, you need to understand the problem first to then choose the right solution. But I find way too many podcasts and other uh, things that I'm reading is like so much in the problem is the solution. That's going to make it quite interesting because as you've said quite rightly, the first thing is identifying the problem. And that is a challenge for a lot of people. There's a lack of clarity when it comes to identifying the problem. So what are your the approach specifically to identifying problems 
and then we I want to focus a bit on the solution side of things. Sure. So I think it's very important to try and find the root cause, which is always difficult. So let's say with mental health, for example, you can give someone, you can treat symptoms with some antidepressants, or you can try and figure out what's the root cause that's actually causing the problem. Is it an imbalance in food that's not creating the right balance in the body? Is it a childhood trauma or what is it? Because once you figure that out, then you can focus on the right solution. Or a better example might be you're having challenges with sleep and you want to optimize your sleep. Are you ruminating? Are you having a hard time falling asleep? Or are you waking up during the night as well? Once you identify that, then you can figure out where do you focus. Because we can talk for a long time about how to optimize sleep, but it's really about figuring out where is the key problem in your sleep. And that's the same with business. So when we're looking at building businesses as well, if we look at like what is the main problem that we have to solve for, are we making kind of like a symptom treatment or are we actually treating more of the root cause? It's not always possible to make businesses that treat root causes, but I try to look at that But most areas in my life. What's the easiest way to identify root cause? How do you focus in on that? Because I come from a cybersecurity background and many times when we kick off investigations, the first, you could say, piece of evidence that you've got, those first indication you, get, you have, is not necessarily the root cause. It tends to be asymptomatic or a you know, result of something that's happened. So what's the most important thing about identifying a root cause to understand whether you can make changes to? I really think it's asking the whys. So understanding why is that happening? Okay, and so let's take the sleep example because that's probably one of the easiest. I have problems sleeping. Okay, what is your problem with falling asleep? Okay, my problem is that I wake up during the night. Okay, then the question is, why might you wake up during the night? And then we look at the solution. So I think it's asking why and what several times so you get something more specific. Because with the sleep example, again, if you just said, like, I have problems sleeping, it would be very easy to come with 20 different solutions. But that would take you a lot of time. And I think most people feel they're pressured on time. So asking that why and what would make you be able to identify. So let's say it's waking up during the night. Another question would then be like, okay, so we know waking up during the night can be several things. It can be ruminating. We know it can also be a lack of glucose that makes you wake up and think that you have to, uh, you wake up and you have to go pee. But it's because the body wakes you up. So then the question would be, okay, are you waking up to go pee? And if you wake up to go pee and you're not drink and you drink a lot of water before you go to bed, then that seems logical. If you don't drink a lot of water, then you can start identifying more like, okay, then we know one of these things can be a biological process or something else. So the kind of hard but e easy but still hard answer, I would say, is really asking the why and what. And I'm guessing you're doing some of the same when you do like cybersecurity. Okay, why did this breach happen? How did it happen? Yeah, a lot of it comes down to first identifying the patterns. Once you understand the patterns and you have to take a look at it in context, I think that's a big challenge is a lot of people tend to look at something in isolation and think that that's the problem. It could be that your sleep is not the issue and it could be, as you say, you're ruminating about something so it's an actually a stress-related issue that's exhibiting sleep pattern problem. And that is quite, quite an obvious or that's quite a common issue with people that are very stressful is because they're ruminating all the time, they're not processing the information or there's something that's very 
heavily on their mind and they're trying to figure it out, but it means that they disturb because their mental processes are working overtime, which means it's going to cause them to sleep poorly. It also means that they're going to wake up tired and it's going to have other effects. So it increases stress and it also causes other health conditions because of it, because now your, your cortisol increases and your stress hormones increase, which means your overall health is going to suffer because of the rumination, but the knock-on effects or a number of other things. So yeah, that's uh, that's quite an, an interesting thing. And like the as you're saying, like the understanding the context and the full system. So especially when it comes to health, is understanding that the body is a full system. So that you kind of see like, okay, this is where it kickstarted, like the rumination. But the rumination could start from a lack of I'm not sure magnesium, but D vitamin, or it could come from problems in your relationships or something else or things that you work right so it is you need to kind of understand the systems and that's also why i try to find experts that are experts in different systems to kind of understand like okay if we start here we can't see that on the camera but if you start like at x point what are the what are the why and what questions you can ask and how are they then related to the full system because it might it's often somewhere completely else that the problem starts just like you said, cybersecurity. Often what you're seeing is just a symptom that's triggered by five other things. That's where it helps to find experts um, that kind of understands the full system. Yeah. I think the important thing over there is probably one of my favorite to- topics is actually looking at systems thinking. Unless you realize how you as a system, as a person functions, in a case like that, where you're looking at biological factors, where you're looking at symptoms because of you know, whatever the reasons are, sometimes taking the basics, okay, write down your days, you could say, from when you wake until you go to sleep, and log it. Don't judge it anything, just write it down, whatever you've done for over day-to-day basis for a period of a week. Now what you've got is you've got some empirical data. Now you can take a look at it. I did this, I did this, I did this. Okay, that's an interesting pattern that comes out of it. Because the other thing is people think on, they base a lot of their decisions and their understanding on perceptions. And that can sometimes be, you could say, biased or it can be. It's often very wrong. Like, you know, yeah, that very, be yeah, very like, wrong. I'm a big fan of tracking because we know that we are really bad at recall. That's also why there's a lot of problems with uh, health research in regards to diets and so on. Because most of it is based on people saying what they ate, which is totally off. So there is really getting that proper understanding of what is actually happening in your life and writing it down. So then you can get a better understanding of, hey, okay, I actually didn't know I was spending so much time on this. That might be why I'm ruminating. I wake up, look at a phone straight away. I go to bed with work emails instead of like shutting it down an hour before and do something relaxing and writing down my thoughts. And that becomes much more clear when you write it down. So that I fully agree that that's a good strategy. Yeah, and there's a really simple process by writing it down is that you're almost offloading it onto a piece of paper. You're externalizing the thought, and it's got two purposes. One, it actually gets it out of your brain onto a piece of paper, and you can see that you've paid attention to it. Because the big thing that a lot of people don't do is that they ruminate about something and say, oh, it's okay, I've thought about it. But it's not. What's going to happen is the brain's going to keep on looping it because it thinks you need to resolve it. So the only way you can resolve it is one, talking out of it. The simplest way that I've found doing something like that is literally writing it down into potential fixes. 
Because now what you've done is that you said to Brandon, okay, I think I know what the issue is. I think there's some possible fixes over here. And then you put it to one side. It doesn't have to be an extensive journal because I think a lot of people think that journaling has to be in-depth, very extensive and very detailed. It doesn't. It can literally be, I did this today. I thought this was a good idea. I did a couple of ideas and put it to one side. And then that gives the brain enough of a signal, okay, it's been dealt with or it can think about it and then it's offloaded. And then you're almost like descaling what you need to think about because you've already shown that you've paid attention to it and that you've got a possible fix for it. That's my, you could say, my go-to method when it comes to something that's uh, kind of continually you know, bothering me. And it's sometimes really a very, very quick way of actually getting over something that can be emotionally quite loaded. If you just write down what the situation is, how you potentially solved it, it's a very good way of, you could say, unloading the emotional content of, of a lot of thoughts or, or the stress that's related to that. But I found that works out very well as well. I fully agree. I do the same. So I write it down. I make an issue tree of potential solutions, also the ones that are not solutions that I want to follow. So I have an overview and then I kind of cross off, okay, this is what's left. And then I use the classic that I've been practicing, which can be hard. But like, if you have a problem, either you can do something about it or you can't affect it. If I can't affect it, I try not to spend my time on it. If I can affect it, I do something or I stop complaining. And then that's why I need to write down the solutions for what can I actually do? Or do I just end up accepting there's nothing I can do? Or I'm not willing to do what it takes to change it. So I just need to stop like thinking about it. I think you've mentioned a really interesting factor over there is either accept it or realize it's not something that you want to change. And that's a key, I think, realization when it comes to wanting to make a change. Is it worthwhile your effort to make the change? Is it something that you fundamentally believe you have to change? Unless it meets those criteria, and unless it's going to give you a very big benefit, then it's not worth the effort of going down the road of trying to find a way of, of solving it. Because I think a lot of people get caught up with the whole concept of I have to change it because somebody else has told me to, or I think it's really important, but they've not fully encapsulated. One, is it important enough to change? Two, want to spend the effort on it? Three, is it going to give me the benefit? And that's the other key thing is unless you know exactly what the benefit is that you're going to get out of it, it doesn't matter how much it's bothering you, you've not looked at it enough to realize whether it's going to give you value. And I think that's where the whole 80-20 principle works very well is actually understanding what is the value in, in the change. Is it going to give you any value? Once you understand that, then the rest makes it a lot simpler. And that, that doesn't touch even some of the other uh, kind of things where, which I know you're also interested about, which is the biohacking stuff. So how did you get involved in biohacking? What's your interest in biohacking? So I've always been interested in performance. I used to be, when I was younger, playing sports at high level. So like, what does it actually take to get to the highest level? Um, and then when I got older, I realized that the, um, there's much more than just a mental part and just working hard. There's a lot of other factors that play in. So first learn more about functional medicine and then biohacking and, and just kind of got down in the rabbit hole of when I talk about biohacking, Nordic biohacking, we look at um, it's this art and science of optimizing um, your performance, your health and well-being through nature, 
and technology. So basically looking at both things, it can be whether you do go breathing and simple thing as that, or whether you use neurofeedback, which is things that you put on your brain that can measure your brain waves, or whether you use a hyperbaric oxygen chamber, um, which has been around for many years. So I found that the space around the different techniques or both nature and technology we can use extremely fascinating for the life that we can live. But I think it's really important to keep in mind, like, why are you doing it? Is it it's it's okay if it's just because you love technology, but many people get lost in the biohacking space. They forget the 80-20. So they optimize for the last 20%, but they forget about the basics. So they spend so much time on the right supplements instead of having a proper diet, getting some exercise, seeing friends, getting proper sleep, the things that really matters, right? Yeah. The really interesting thing for me when it came to optimization and just health improvements in essence or just in its core principles again comes down to understanding the fundamentals of one what it is that you want to achieve and two how it fits into your lifestyle i think a lot of people go down the road of biohacking they go very heavily technology or they go very heavy nutritional side but they forget all about the other aspects that play a role in it and that's something that I realized as well when I started looking into just understanding the basic principles, especially with nutrition. Nutrition is, in essence, really, really very simple. It's the best quality food that you can do, that you can. Keep the ingredients as simple as possible. And that's going to solve majority of your health issues. Don't, don't go on diets where you're relying on heavily one source of food. Because long-term, what you're going to do is potentially trigger a sensitivity issue. And now what you've done is that you've now conditioned your body to become sensitized to food. And that's happened quite often. So the, the body, in essence, needs a lot of the diversity. It needs you know, seasonal foods. It needs herbs, spices, vegetables, all these different areas because it functions best with a diverse amount of input. When you start becoming really focused just on a one single solution, then it makes it very difficult to try and maintain and it can become incredibly expensive. And in essence, biohacking is quite simple. Really good basic nutrition and then making sure you follow all of the basic things like we spoke about sleep early on. Learn how to document your sleep, pay attention to your sleep, have a schedule with it, find out what works, what doesn't work. Second of all, learn how to breathe and learn how to hydrate properly. Now you've dealt with probably your, your biggest factors that can cause or improve your, you could say, ability the most. Now you can start refining on some of the other things. You know, what area of supplementation do you need to look at? If you need it, how does it fit into your training? How does it fit into your lifestyle? You know, can it be as simple as possible to make your life easier and give you improvements? And then you can take a look at technology aspects. You know, do you use tracking data? How much does that data give you value to it? And what can you do to improve? Because I found that when I was tracking my sleep, I started paying attention to the quality of my sleep and also I became a lot more consistent because I could see the output. And that's where feedback is really important. Because if you don't have feedback, then you can't gauge whether something is working or not because you end up just basing it on feeling or perception. 
and feeling of perception has got no part in it if you really want to buy a hack and you want to look for the margins. So the questions that I normally ask is like the first question, what do I want to accomplish? Like more important before you get started. Does it solve or provide data on something that I'm trying to address? Is there some science that backs the claim of it? Does it save me time? Does it provide me pleasure, joy or pleasure? And can I easily test it with low cost? Those are kind of like the six questions that I like to look at when uh, when looking at some kind of biohacks, whether it's worth trying or not. And some things are not the 80-20, but they might be fun. It's something that's fun to try, but like being aware of why you're doing something. And then, as you said, going back to the basics, the one that I look at the basics is sleep, is nutrition. And nutrition, you can actually put sun in there as well, sun and air. That is extremely important. We know that the sun is is key for us as well and is key for actually our cells as well. We know movement is also essential, your mindset and your relationships. And I often see that people forget about relationships. And they are really important. When we look at the blue zones, like the places in the world where there's the most people that lived along some long lives, um, one of the key things is actually that they have very close relationships and they're part of a community. So it's something that some biohackers or people in the health space forget about, but it's it's something that's so important to figure out as well because you can take all the right supplements, you can get your proper sleep, you can get good varied nutrition and you can move and so on. But if you don't really have healthy relationships, you still have a high chance of struggling and you're probably not going to live that meaningful life. That's a really fascinating topic for me. And the area which I found for me that really explains a lot of that when I was taking a look at what meditation and also how meditation affects the body. And one of the areas that I work in is social engineering, and I became very fascinated to see how social engineering works with psychology. And there's a very strong correlation between the two because of the way that it affects how people think. That hence a reason for my podcast, which is Thinking Like a Genius. My, my core thing is, one, understand how you think and process information once you realize how you think and process information, now it means that you can have actual, you could say, baseline that you're working on that you know how you're going to react when it comes to it. And that's where things like the social engagement is really important because that ties into the vagus nerve and it ties into your rest and digest, your fight or flight and your free system because it ties into that whole engagement system because the vagus nerve is, it provides all of the signals up to the brain. And a lot of those signals come from the heart, the lungs, the gut. And it also comes from your your face because the vagus nerve has got a lot of nerve endings in the face, which is why when people engage with other people, it's this front part of the body. And that's where a lot of the signals get fed into the brain through the vagus nerve because you've got all of the, you know, the, the facial features, the eyes, the nose, the mouth, the expression, you know, how eyes are changing when somebody smiles or when they frown. These are all things that people look out for, and that's how they gauge whether there is context in the conversation. And that's, I say this quite often, is when, when you look at arguments online, especially on Twitter or Facebook, majority of the time, the flame wars are down to textual misinterpretation of the context of a situation or a conversation. And then people have this big argument because they don't understand the full context because when you have a conversation with somebody, 
you have that context of the history of the conversation and it's easy to read the other person because you're listening to the voice. You can see how they're reacting, whether they're frowning, whether they're smiling, whether they're leaning in. And these are all signals that people have when they're in a, in a relationship or when they're engaging with other people. That gives them context on how they can change or modify their behavior based on the feedback that they get, which is why it's so vitally important for, for health because that ties into your stress and how your body reacts and all of the other factors within, you could say, a human. And we are tribal species. We're not supposed to just be by ourselves. So I think there's a lot of stuff as well that we don't have to full answers to yet, but that are, that are central to why it's so important for us. So what was your biggest thing when it came to your, you could say, biohacking testing that you've done, apart from the sleep and the nutrition and other things? What's the, what was the one thing that you did that gave you the biggest benefit? So I think, like actually what you just said, sleep is key and then movement. So doing proper movement and it doesn't, like the best movement is the movement that you do. So like there might be a 3x bar and different things that can give you the biggest muscles, but I do most of my movement as a social activity. So I used to play sports at a higher level, but still doing the sports is, it makes a difference. I do blood testing. So I figure out what nutrition that I actually need. Um, so then I get supplements according to that. And I can see a, I can see a difference on my skin. I have psoriasis. And if I don't get my supplements, I can see it. And I often try not to do it because then I run out and I'm like, it's kind of annoying to have all those supplements. But I can just see it makes a difference. And I changed them according to like my blood test. For example, I was eating more vegetarian and my B12 was low. So then I got B12 as part of my supplement stack. But I don't hope that people go away listening and thinking that supplements is the main thing because supplements is really one of the smaller things that you can top up with. But it is hard to get the proper nutrition with the food quality that we have today. And there's simply not the same nutrition in an apple that they used that was like 80 years ago. But one of the things that I use that give me the most joy is uh, photobiomodulation. So, and it's one of the things that's harder to measure, but basically it's red light and infrared light. And we know that it stimulates the mitochondria one of the reasons why I love it is because I have the panel at home and I can sit and meditate at the same time. So it's something that feels good straight away in my body. It's not something that I can say that my energy is much higher during the day. Um, also, again, like how much can we actually track? Often I figure out how well I'm doing if I do something I don't normally do. Like if I'm at a social event and I get cake or something else and I don't do my stuff, then you suddenly realize the different energy that you might have if you're not doing the stuff that's actually good for for the body. But red light, I'm a big fan of. How did you become aware of red light and the impact on, on your health? How did you, and what was for you the key thing for, for looking at that or testing that? So red light, I think it was because I heard about it many different places. I think I heard uh, about red light the first time on a Dave Asprey podcast. And I thought it sounded kind of weird. It looked like some porn light. Uh, red light district i'm like what what is this is this supposed to be good for the body and then i started digging further into it and seeing that there's actually a fair bit of research uh, that shows that it's good for the body and i think i really understood it better when i took um, an online course this year um, in cell biology that kind of explains about the mitochondria and the importance of the cells before that i just kind of felt that it was nice 
but that kind of explained better what actually happens and like how the mitochondria are key for how you're feeling because they're kind of like the powerhouses of the cell and that red light basically goes in and stimulates that. So that's one of the reasons why it feels good. Plus you also get the heat. And then it's because it's something that I can do while I do something else. So I sit up against it and I meditate. So I really like things where I don't have to spend extra time. There's so many things I want to do. Sitting and doing weird biohacks is not top of my list. Like top of my list is learning new things, being around great people and building stuff that can make an impact, right? So anything that I can do while I can do something else, I really appreciate that. Getting on onto the learning topic about you say that's one of your key interests and one of the things that, that you really enjoy doing. So what are the areas that you, you could say, focus your learning on? So to give you an example, my main topics of, of focus has been one, psychology, two, physiology, the neuroscience side of things, breath work, because it's got such a big impact on just overall health and because you can change the area of your brain that you use just through breathing. And then for me is then learning the the frameworks of knowledge or skill acquisition that's going to benefit those things. So it'll be anything like learning about mental models, learning about biases, learning about, you could say, whether it's something that's related to health, like red light and mitochondria, those things will, would interest me because you know, obviously you want energy, you want to be feel good, and you've got all those benefits. So I tend to focus on those main areas that are going to give me benefits. So which are the areas that you find interesting that you would focus on that you always try to optimize for? So I always found psychology extremely fascinating. And when I read about psychology, everything disappears around me. So for some reason, it just fascinated my mind so much. It's also... There's not a clear answer always, but it's kind of trying to understand that mystery. Lately, I've been trying to understand, like the last couple of years, more about the body because it also have an influence back on the mind. And then going back to understanding principle first, I know a guy who comes from a similar background as myself. He comes from banking. I come from consulting and business. So, And he's, he's worked a lot with health and worked with doctors and so on. So I asked him, like, okay, where do I start? And he was like, well, you need to start with cell biology because that was give you the understanding of everything else. And then you need to have a, something about how do you understand scientific studies within health. So I took those two courses this year to really go deeper. And now I'm doing a course called Primal Health Coach, not because I want to be a health coach, but it kind of gives you, again, it's been structured in a way. So you're being taught like simple principles first and then you build upon it. So. Just go back to the simple principles on, uh, on that. Just explain that a bit. Yeah. So because the cells is kind of like they are key in the body and the smallest part that make it many other things work. Understanding part of what um, the cells are and how they're being impacted makes you understand red light better. So I had heard a lot about red light before, but it wasn't before I saw the introduction of the... Um, kind of the course on cell biology and I won't try and re-explain it properly because it's it was a good professor from Harvard um, but basically uh, light oxygen and uh, food is part of what the cells are running from or running at and there's some other words as well for like how it get transferred into the cell when it comes from light that kind of made me be that was kind of like a clicking moment when I saw that lecture 
It was like, all right, that's some of the words that I didn't understand, ATP and different things that are happening here in the cells. And that's why red light apparently is both giving good scientific results, but also why you can understand it from a logical level that it should have a positive effect on the body. And then there's the big part of really understanding how do you read the studies? Because with health, you can find studies saying almost everything, right? So it's like what studies are actually fairly valid, which ones can you use? And then the big part of biohacking is also the N equals one, so that you love looking at studies, um, but you also wear the outliers. You might be an outlier, or you might want to do what the outlier is doing. So red light might work for 90% of people, but you might be the 10%. So it's that mix of understanding from studies, what seems to be working, what do we seem to have studies on, and then test it on yourself. And whether you can get an objective measure like um, a blood test that tells you something about did it work, that you took those supplements, or are you just writing down how did you feel, how did you sleep, which can actually sometimes be more accurate than some of these sleep monitors, because a lot of the check is not that accurate yet. For example, sleep monitors are good at figuring out when you wake up and when you fall asleep, but they're not good at the deep sleep stages and uh, and REM sleep and so on. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think for me is making sure that when I'm learning information, I try to go back to as most original sources possible and then collate it down into what are the basic principles, almost what are the you could say the laws that govern. Once you understand the principles and the laws, the basis that everything functions on, now you can start looking at it and it becomes an interesting topic because now instead of just reading a lot of information and trying to process all that information, once you boil it down into the basic principles, again, coming to the example of, of asking questions, what is it that you want to learn? How does it work? Why, where, when? If you can answer those basic questions, they are really quite basic, but they're providing an immense amount of value because now what it does is structures how you're going to think about it, how you can approach it. And it means that you can now think of it a bit more creatively because you can pivot around the topics. Because now you're not just looking at a lot of information trying to make sense what other people are saying because you're understanding basic principles. Well, that's where sometimes it takes a bit of effort and a bit of time to understanding and reading about the basic principles. But you have to take a certain amount of responsibility for that because there's a lot of information that's published that is just empty information. There's, there's missing context. They're basing it on, as you say, medical research. It's maybe done on, on mice. And then they say, based on this research, it means that if that happened with mice, it's going to happen with humans. Not necessarily. You're talking about two different species. There are certain common factors between the two that can correlate, but it doesn't mean they're accurate. Once you start testing it in a different environment, there's a bunch of other factors that are taken into consideration. And it starts... That's why it's important when you're reading scientific information, you take a look at it. What is the end goal? What information are they trying to do? Who have they tested on? Also, what's the size of the study? If they've done a study on 10 people, that not necessarily is not going to mean it's going to work for 10,000, 5,000, 100,000. You've got to understand what are, they, what are the concepts of the study, what are they trying to achieve, and looking at the information and what they're trying to publish. Because many times they will say, this was done in a small study. These are the areas they're looking at. These are the, but taking into consideration, this is a small study and more work needs to be done. 
majority of the time people don't get to that. Somebody will try and boil it down into a concept that they can then publish with a catchy title and put it on a popular blog. Yes, it's going to be popular. A lot of people are going to click on it, but nobody's going to get value out of it because they've not taken a look at the fundamental principles. They don't understand what it is in context of the whole situation. So there's there's a lot of complexity in there that a lot I think people tend to miss out on. But I think going back into the solutions, then it's either you have the time to read the studies or you can find experts that you over time can see whether you can trust or not. And then you kind of do samples of trying to read some of the stuff. So I've done that with people and like they're referencing it and sometimes I click on to see like what are they referencing. I prefer to follow people that are referencing uh, studies and so on when it comes to health. So I can kind of understand. And then I'm lucky that I have a podcast where I can ask people and often ask them like, so how do we get to that conclusion? How do we know this is true? And then there's also the whole like biohacking looks at ancestral wisdom as well. Ancestral wisdom and modern science, right? So many things that we thought was crazy back in the days, like meditation, the brain was fixed. We knew that as a scientific fact in the West, right? Turned out to be completely wrong, that the brain is actually plastic and it can change. And meditation, now we can measure that. So I think it's also important, again, that you kind of ask those six questions. What do you want to accomplish? What are kind of the scientific backing behind it? Does it give me joy? Does it save me time and so on? And then you test it out and see how does it work for you? And then, of course, there's the placebo. But again, even if the placebo kicks in and doesn't cost you money, and if it's a positive placebo, you're still accomplishing part of your goal. I think that's like, it's easy to be cynical. And I have a challenge that I'm very skeptical with different things. So I don't think I get the full placebo. But if you can put your skeptical mind aside and read more of the benefits, I think end of the day, you actually have better results. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to personal personal responsibility and testing and finding out what works with you. And that's to me was the biggest learning thing is because I was willing to test it and meant that I was able to get a lot more benefit out of it because I was willing to experiment. Uh, and that to me made a huge big difference. And that's where I got a lot of benefit and also where I get a lot of joy out of it because I can I can test things because I want to see how it affects me, how it works for me and what does work, what doesn't work. So it's a lot of interesting things. And that part is super fun. Then it's also whether the tests are, are the right tests, but it's nice to get those maps. Like I'm really happy that I can actually get a blood test done to see how is my nutrition. Instead of being so focused on taking all these supplements or like changing so many things in the diet, like, am I getting enough so I can be like, yes, I'm doing well. Like, no reason to spend more time on that. Move on to something more fun in your life. Yeah, that does make a big difference. I've not tried it with the blood testers yet. I think it's something I might have a look at. It comes down to, I think, what's available and also what you can afford to do. I think for people who don't have that, you could say, ability or that facility available to them, the easiest thing is look at the most basic, simple feedback and logging mechanism. Keep it as simple as possible. Sometimes the simplest way of doing it is literally writing it down and keeping a journal, logging it. Yeah, and you can use the apps like MyFitnessPal and so on that also tells you very much about like what you're getting and you can learn a lot from that. There's many solutions. Like You can write it down just in a piece of paper in a computer. You can take an app or you can also get blood tests, right? So it's different levels of like where are you financially what's available for you and like what time and resources to have. And again, like what is it that you want to accomplish? But I think it's also important, like remembering to do some tracking, but then also just like take it easy. The mental part is extremely important. If you're true, 
occupied all the time with tracking. I definitely see people in the biohacking space where it like ticks overhand, where it's like, oh, I track it to kind of figure it out and then enjoy life. Go out and be so Do stuff that makes you laugh. But it's fun, like again, with the tracking, one of my friends, he figured out that this is uh, HIV, uh, which is a measurement of stress that was low when he was drinking alcohol. But that was because he was with friends and having a really good time laughing, right? So that told him that he should probably not be so focused on doing all the right things all the time, but he should spend more time on actually just having fun being with his friends. I think that was, for me, that was a really fun finding. And that I think more people should be aware of like living a good life. Again, going back to the blue zones, having fun, don't take life too serious, but then also get some metrics on it. But then again, remember to have fun, remember to be around good people and so on. It, it makes such a big difference. It definitely does. Matt, I had a really enjoyable interview with him. I think we probably could have spoken about biohacking and a number of other areas in detail. And definitely, I think there's going to be a number of conversations we probably can have in the future on a number of topics. So appreciate your time and thank you very much for spending some time with us and sharing your insights and your knowledge. Thank you very much. My pleasure. When you support and review a podcast like this from someone like Lance, it gains more visibility and motivates him to produce more. What topics most interest you? The best topic gains a shout out on the podcast.